This is the Lenten season, and this is a time for us to be breaking through the clutter and distractions to find Jesus. Now, boys and girls, when you came in this morning, I hope you got one of these. Hope you got one of these Finding Jesus sheets. Uh, if you did not, Andrew, right there in that second seat, raise your hand if you are a boy or girl and you did not get one of these, and Andrew will get you one. You need that because this is the Finding Jesus book. Now look, if you look right above on the screen, look right above the title, Finding Jesus, the guy up above that, just above it waving, that's Jesus. That's the guy you're trying to find. He's kind of nice looking. He's got a little white robe, little little uh, yellow uh, strip across the top here, and, and he's got a beard, brownish hair. Um, looks, you know, remarkably like something I might have looked like at 25. Anyway, uh, finding Jesus, he's on that page somewhere. If you've ever done Where's Waldo, this is the idea. Um, and it is sometimes this hard to find Jesus in our lives. Uh, you know, I, I did a devotional a, a couple of months ago in one of the classrooms for uh Gateway Village. We have a preschool that meets here. Those of you who are newer at Gateway, you might not have known that. In our preschool hallway, we have a preschool that meets here during the week. And once in a while, I go down and do devotionals with the boys and girls. And this is a few months ago. I was doing a devotional on Noah. And God asked Noah to build a really big boat. It was called an ark. And, and he was gathering materials. And he was supposed to gather his family and gather the, the animals and, and the neighbors. Can you, can you imagine what the neighbors were thinking? Boys and girls, what do you think the neighbors were thinking? One little boy raises his hand. I'm thinking, I've got them. You know, they're engaged. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? My grandfather has a boat. And then that was it. They were going, my grandfather has a boat too. I went to see my grandfather last week. My grandfather died last year. You look like my grandfather. We were, we were gone. Sometimes those of us who aren't preschool children can be just that way. We can be easily distracted and our distractions can keep us from finding Jesus. And today we're going to talk about the distraction of busyness. Uh, next slide, Dean. I don't know if your uh, schedule ever looks like this. Can you see this? The word busy is all over that planner. And wait, I have free time on Wednesday. Something must be wrong. Uh, some of us, because of our schedules, are living lives. Listen to this. Some of us, because of our schedules, are living lives that make it difficult for us to be Christians. In other words, our lives don't permit any spiritual nourishment or any real time of connection with God. Connection with God is difficult even when we're giving it time. And without that time, it's nearly impossible. This means we don't have God's presence actively guiding us, protecting us, and giving us life. We're at the mercy of our circumstances and our emotional ups and downs. So today we're going to look at a passage that draws a stark contrast between getting it pretty right and missing the mark on this. And I want you to know at the end of today, I'm going to make a statement that's pretty profound. And then I'm going to do uh, kind of frequently asked questions that don't usually get asked out loud. Because I had two remarkably honest conversations about this topic this week. And we're going we're to address some of that. So we're going to look again at the story that the 
kids acted out for us this morning, Luke 10, 38 through 42. And can you do this for me? Let's, uh, let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, as they were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Uh, actually, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be not, it will not be taken away from her. Okay, you may be seated. Kids, I'm going to give you one more assignment. In your bag, there's something that you can make people out of or, or uh, pipe cleaners, something like that. I want you to make a Martha and a Mary for me this morning if you can. Okay, uh, the uh, Chinese novelist and philosopher Lin Yutang said this, besides the noble art of getting things done, there is the noble art of leaving things undone. The wisdom in life consists in the elimination of non-essentials. In this account that we just read, Luke tells us that Jesus and his disciples were on their way. But we don't know where they were coming from or where they were going to exactly. In other words, we don't know when this incident happened in Jesus' life. Luke chooses to place the story here in his account, and we don't really know why, and that's pretty unusual. Often, you can tell from the context uh, why the bi biographer has placed an incident here or there, but not this one, not really. So I was curious about that. I looked that up in a couple of commentaries this week to see what they would say. And by the way, the women and men who uh, write those commentaries, they're really smart, and they spend their lives studying this stuff. One author in particular, I thought, summed it up. He has two PhDs, by the way, and uh, he focuses, a lifetime of research is focused on Luke, and he summarized this question like this. He said, it's uncertain how this incident relates to the surrounding material, <laughs> end quote. So we don't know. However, this incident, it comes right after the Good Samaritan story. Some of you know that story. So some have suggested Luke is offering an example of another right way to do it. Eh. Or it comes right before Jesus' teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 11. And some have suggested that maybe he's using this, Mary's attitude to set up his teaching on prayer. That makes more sense to me. Either way, or neither way, this story all by itself as a standalone has always been an important and a memorable incident for generations of Christians. In every generation of Christians, you can find sermons on this incident. Because all of us struggle with persipal. That's the Greek word here translated distractions. It can also mean worries or anxieties. And this is us. We are the persipowerers. We are easily distracted and we are often fraught with worry. So Jesus was in Bethany, which was about eight miles outside of Jerusalem. That's where Martha lived. He'd gone there to visit Mary and Martha. And it's clear from his whole biography that these two women were at the center of his relationship orbit. They were very important to Jesus. When he, while he was visiting, Martha was very, very busy. 
She was playing host. She knew that accommodations had to be made. The entire Jesus entourage had to be fed. That wasn't going to happen by itself. They had to sleep somewhere, and that somewhere had to be cleaned and made order. You, you, want, you don't want someone visiting you with your mess everywhere. Perhaps bread and oil had to be purchased, maybe a lamb, some fruit and some vegetables. A fire had to be started and nursed. Sleeping pallets had to be found from somewhere. There was probably going to be at least one visit to the local Judah Teeter and at least two visits to Beth Depot, two visits because something was bound to be broken and you know you can't go to the depot only once. There was much to be done. But Mary wanted to hear Jesus. She wanted to hear what had been happening in their latest travels and encounters. She wanted to hear Jesus. She wanted to hear anything Jesus had to say. So she positioned herself at Jesus' feet. I love how one pastor kind of charted this out. He, He has a chart that identifies Mary versus Martha, Mary contemplative, Martha active. I'm going to put an asterisk by that one. I don't think that's really right. I think Mary was busy. I'll talk about that in a second. Mary was into the word. Martha was into the work. Mary was a be-er. Have you heard this one before? She was a human being as opposed to a human doing. Mary was after the presence of God. Martha wanted to offer presence for God. Mary was after relationship. Martha felt the weight of responsibility. Mary had a full heart. Martha had a full schedule. Now, there are two life principles, and we won't be long this morning. There are two life principles that we, we got to grab onto that spill out of this passage if we're going to understand the truth that this interaction offers us. Two life principles. Life principle number one, doing Mary, that means being like Mary, doing what Mary did, following the way of Mary. Doing Mary is hard work. Doing Mary is hard work. This is not idleness. This is very, very active. Mary isn't just hanging around chilling. Mary is at Jesus' feet, leaning in with heart and mind. She's listening. She's learning. She's paying attention. She's working to hear what Jesus might say. To receive all that Jesus offered, this is active business. This is immensely rewarding work. In fact, the most rewarding of work, but it is work. If you've ever tried to pray for any length of time, let's be honest. Or if you've ever tried to study the Bible, or if you've ever tried to fast, if you've ever tried to do spiritual work, you know that this is hard work. If we're honest with ourselves, many of us are Martha. A few of us are like Mary, and some of us are just lazy. And I say that to highlight the fact that Mary is not lazy. Waiting on God is difficult work. Sitting at Jesus' feet is often difficult work. It's active, not passive. Mary isn't doing the easier part, just the better part. That's literally what Jesus said, that this is the better part. Being in the place of listening to Jesus, being at his feet, this is where real life awaits us. This is where our fuel can be found, fuel for the jobs that need to be done. You know, Socrates was a prophet to 20th century, uh, 21st century suburban Americans when he said, beware the barrenness of a busy life. Martha is full of purpose and hard at work, but she's frenetic at her center. She's distracted, she's, and she's resentful. Her heart is very nearly barren at this moment. 
Some of you have seen this. In the late 1970s, a guy named Charles Hummel published a little pamphlet called Tyranny of the Urgent. If you've never read that, you should pick it up sometime. He said this, have you ever wished for a 30-hour day? Surely this extra time would, would relieve the tremendous pressure under which we live. Our lives leave a trail of unfinished tasks, unfinished letters, emails now, unvisited friends, unwritten articles, and unread books. Haunt, they haunt quiet moments when we stop to evaluate. We desperately need relief. But would a 30-hour day, he continues, really solve the problem? Wouldn't we soon be just as frustrated as we are now with our 24-hour allotment? When we stop to evaluate, we realize that our dilemma goes deeper than the shortage of time. It's basically the problem of priorities. Homer went on to make the point that we so often let urgent things in life crowd out the most important things. We so often, he said, making sure we all got this one, let urgent things in life crowd out the most important. Principle number one, doing Mary is hard work. Doing Martha is no more difficult than doing Mary, and it's usually far less fruitful in the long run. Doing Martha carries the appearance of getting many things done, but often Martha sacrifices the greater things for the urgent lesser things. This leads to our second principle. Real, long-term productivity always begins with doing Martha and ends with doing Mary. Real, long-term productivity always begins with doing what Martha did and ends with doing what Mary did. Look, Jesus is not saying that Martha was a bad person. He's not even saying that what Martha is attending to is unimportant. Children do have to be clothed and fed. Work projects do have to be completed. And the New Testament, by the way, is full of examples of people making preparations and being busy. We see in a couple of instances, Paul preparing for various mission trips. We find Paul, by the way, everywhere he went, working for a living. This is another example of busyness. He could have let the local populations support him. He didn't. He busied himself with work. We find Jesus several instances, but one time in particular, he ordered people to help make preparations for the Lord's Supper, busying themselves. Acts chapter 6 is an entire chapter about incredible busyness. The church in Jerusalem just simply exploded in a good way. Tons of people coming in. We long for it at Gateway. People who want to know the story of Jesus. There were so many that there began to be conflicts, conflicts especially between uh, Hellenistic Jews and, and uh uh, Jerusalem Jews. And so the apostles appointed a whole committee of what they called servants, deacons, to just take care of the busy work because much had to be done to take care of these people. It's not that Martha, what she's doing is unimportant, but doing Martha is secondary. And we have to remind ourselves of this constantly because it almost always feels primary. But doing Mary is primary. Doing Mary, what Mary does, comes first. Doing Mary is where we get the fuel to do Martha healthily, appropriately, in the right order, and with the right attitude. Doing Mary is where we get the fuel to do Martha with the right attitude, appropriately, healthily, and in the right order.
Okay, now let me make my uh, striking statement. I'm trying to highlight it because we could just go right past it. You, you expect to hear this from a pastor on Sunday morning. It's jumped out at me as I reviewed this this week after, as, a, as I said, a couple of really honest conversations about this. This is why, here's my statement, every person I have ever known or read about who has a deep, meaningful, and life-giving connection with God has had long seasons in their life when a part of their day, every day, has been spent devoted to nurturing their relationship with God. And I would like to add, centered on Bible study and prayer. I'm going to say that again. Every person I have ever known or read about who has a deep, meaningful, and life-giving connection with God has had long seasons in their life when a part of their day, every day, has been spent devoted to nurturing their relationship with God. All right, now let me ask and answer four questions. Um, and be forewarned, these are, answers are mostly going to be coming from the mind of Ed Allen. Question number one, what about a season in my life when this isn't possible? Because of uh, drama that I'm going through emotionally or physically or like when you have small children. I want to suggest there is special grace for special seasons in our lives, and God will use different means at different times in our lives. Not every season in your life is going to be filled with intense spiritual focus, but you will not have a meaningful, life-giving connection with God without seasons in your life in which you dive in. Don't make this, this sitting at Jesus' feet. Don't, don't make, relax about it. And don't make this something else on your to-do list. Don't make this, spending time with Jesus, something else to make you busier. That's not what this is. This is us finding him. Second question. Does this devotion time have to be first thing in the morning? Of course not. It has to be at a time that works for you. In fact, some of you are not at your best first thing in the morning. But honestly... It is morning for most people that I know. This is a way of putting God first. Still, it has to be what works for you. Third question, does it always have to include studying the Bible? Not always. Look, there are parts of the Bible that are difficult and parts that are boring. Yes, I said it. As I said earlier, it takes work for all of us and our devotional time does not, have to it does not have to include Bible study. But our lives do need to be attached. They do need to be tethered to, to God's character and his actions as revealed in the Bible. So there must be seasons of studying the Bible in our lives if we're going to have a deep and meaningful and life-giving connection with God. Finally, should I feel guilty if this is not me? Well, that depends, doesn't it? There are, there are several reasons why this might not be you. I'm just not the kind of person who can do Mary. Uh, several reasons for that. Number one, you might not have found the right model for you. 
Uh, doing Mary for you might not be finding a, a desk in your home somewhere and waking up at five in the morning and spending an hour in prayer journaling over your Bible. That might not be the way for you to do Mary. You might not have found the right model. Or your time sitting at Jesus' feet doing Mary does not need to look like my time or anyone else's. It does not always, it's not always about Bible study and prayer, even though people like me make it sound like that. Plus, many times I've studied the Bible and prayed out of guilt and in an attempt to check a spiritual box. And that doesn't honor God or nurture a real relationship any more than leaving it alone does. That's not a better alternative. But the long-term absence of any desire to study the Bible and pray is something you need to pay attention to. Pause. The long-term absence of any desire to read the Bible and pray is something you need to pay attention to. It's, there are several possibilities Number one, it's, it's often a sign of distractions and clutter. Exactly the issue that we're addressing through this series. That's the point of these whole conversations. You've so organized your life that there's simply not enough space or energy to give to the most important of all activities. Let me give you a second alternative. A, a second possibility is that your lack of desire may be a sign of a spiritual virus. There may be something wrong at the core of, of your spiritual life. Certainly distractions and clutter make it more difficult, but that may not be the core issue for you. Something, something may be wrong. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. We're all missing certain spiritual vitamins. None of us are perfectly healthy. You may be spiritually stronger than your neighbor who's passionate about praying, but whose spiritual virus manifests in other symptoms. But the long-term lack of any desire to study the Bible and pray is a symptom of something you need to pay attention to. Something is going on. A third possibility is that you have never really encountered Jesus in a real way. Not really. Mary's life had been changed by an encounter with Jesus and she couldn't help herself. If you have never really encountered him, then you're not going to want to spend time with him devotionally. And I want to encourage you this morning, it's as easy as asking and seeking. Remember that verse that Jordan read from Jeremiah. If you have not encountered him, you will work your brains out trying to be religious and it will not work. You need to meet Jesus. And when you do, things are different. One more little thing here. Some of you have read before uh, the Stephen Covey book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. is really a runaway bestseller in the 90s. Um, Covey had a, a, a chart in that book that was really, really meaningful for me at that point in my life as I worked through it. I want you to see this. Dean, bring up this chart. He identifies four boxes, let's say. Across the, the horizontal is urgent, non-urgent, urgent. Up and down the vertical is important, not important. So you see quadrant one is uh, urgent and important. Quadrant three, urgent and not important. Quadrant two, not urgent, but important. Quadrant four, 
Not urgent, not important. Look at that for just a second and, and think about what of your activities might fit in which of these boxes. As I said, for me, working through this chart was very informative at a certain point in my life. Dean, give us the next slide. Uh, you'll find urgent and important, that's things like work deadlines or paying your bills, even though most of that happens online now, not all, uh, or picking up the kids. That's pretty urgent and pretty important. Time for them to get out of school. They can't hang out in the front of the school. How about urgent and not important? Much of our email. <laughs> Imagine trash out in front of your house. They haven't come to collect it yet. It's a super windy day in March. The trash can falls over and trash is flying all over the neighborhood. That's well, your neighbors might think it's important, but in the grander scheme of things, not very important, but super urgent. Your house is a mess. That was added by a couple of people on staff when I asked them to fill in this category. It came to them instantly. I can't have people over if my house is a mess. It's urgent. I'm sorry. Not really important. Next slide, Dean. How about not important, not urgent? Netflix, <laughs> video games, most shopping, by the way, is not urgent, not important. Uh, there were several key learnings for me that spilled out of doing this exercise for myself. Uh, key learning number one, quadrants one and three, you following me? Demand my attention. And I often attend to the demands of quadrant one and three because they demand my attention. Here's a... This is almost a miss, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. This is something I learned from doing this exercise for myself. When I spend too much time and energy on quadrant one and three, all I have left is energy for quadrant four. I don't have any energy left for quadrant two. All my energy gets spent in quadrant one and three. The only thing left for me is mindless quadrant four. And I started to realize Hold on to this one. I started to realize that my devotional life was in quadrant two. Dean, bring up that next slide. And that it was important and not urgent. So sometimes I would leave it off. There is never, I don't ever wake up in the morning and have a demand and pressure on me to go have devotions or to exercise or to eat right or to care for my wife. But those are critically important. They take time and energy. And my devotional life is at the top of that list, right? But, but, don't snooze yet. Last point. The more I got to know Jesus, the more I saw that maybe that wasn't exactly right. Maybe that chart is not exactly right. What Jesus is telling Martha here is that our devotional life doesn't even fit on this table. One more slide, Dean. There is one essential thing that is above and before all other things, sitting at the feet of Jesus. This activity fuels the whole chart. Everything falls into place and is rightly ordered when that is a part of our lives. Then exercise and eating right and quadrant two gets filled in by our activity, by our desire. When we order our day around and by sitting at Jesus' feet, doing Mary produces real long-term productivity. 
Doing Mary is always primary. There are two principles we dare not ignore. Doing Mary is hard work, number one. And number two, real long-term productivity always begins with doing Mary and ends with doing Martha. The sad news is that some of us are living lives that make it difficult for us to be Christians. We don't have any spiritual nourishment flowing into our lives. And this conversation is not likely to change that. You need, you need action. I'm going to offer one more thing before I go. Uh, I wish we had uh, three weeks to talk about this. Um, philosopher and author Dallas Willard has written a book about this. But uh, if we're really going to make change in our life, Willard says we need three things. We need VIP. We need vision. We need intention and we need a plan. We need a vision, an idea of what change looks like. What would it look like for this to be part of my life? We need faith that it can work. And then we need the real intention to do it. You've heard this sermon before, most of you. Did it, did it motivate real intention in you? And then you need a plan to make it happen. So what would this week how would this week look differently if we put doing Mary first, if we made that primary? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. If they would, let me close in prayer. Father, we are, um, we are almost assaulted with a, a world, a schedule, a, a lifestyle that imposes Martha on us. The... Um, the long checklist of things that need to be done before we have company over or to prepare the kids for school or signing them up for sports teams and then practices and games, et cetera, et cetera. Lord, we take a breath this morning and I'm gonna pray in Jesus' name that you would give us vision for the benefit the reality of, of the benefit of doing it differently, of doing Mary as primary in our lives and allowing all of our Martha activity to flow out of that. Inspire us, Lord. Give us the intention. And then help us to plan it I pray over this congregation this week, Father, I pray that you would bless their efforts, bless their mornings, bless their afternoons, and bless their evenings. Bless them with your spirit. Bless them with your governance. Bless them with your discipline. I pray, Lord, that uh, the activity of sitting at your feet would flow out of their lives and hearts, that a new desire would be birthed in us. And I pray, God, that you would give us the right plan, the right way to do this in a way that works for us. And for those of us who have this discipline in our lives, Father, I pray that you would honor that, that you would meet us this week, that you would remind us, give, breathe life into it and remind us of the, the benefit that, we, that has accrued to our lives from, from the discipline of doing this. Thank you, Jesus.